Okay. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it has everything I need. Yes. All right. As we start Matthew 9 tonight, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over to his hometown. Remember, he was over in Gentile territory across the lake, and now he's coming back to his hometown. And then as some men brought him a paralytic, some men, some friends, I don't know who they were, but they brought this man who could not walk on his own, they brought him on a mat, and when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their faith, and I could not help, I couldn't start this lesson without asking you to make sure you saw, do you think your faith, I'm not saying that you can give your faith to someone else, you can't, but can your faith be beneficial to someone else? How you live your life how if you're a city set on a hill, you are his light. You are his salt. Do you think that that can be beneficial to someone else? People are watching. Yes, it is. In fact, I even went as far as to say, without being melodramatic, this is truth. Can your life and the way you live it affect someone's eternity? Yes, it can. Yeah. And I was hoping that that, that that would do something to you. I mean, it did something to me. I'm thinking that just makes me sit up and take action a little bit more, saying, you know, really, I want to make sure that it's not just because Jesus is going to say in a few minutes, words are cheap, really. It's so easy to say the words. But can they see a difference in you? And we've been, he's been on this subject the last week. So he doesn't let up on this. And so here again, he's using these, these friends or these people who were kind-hearted and compassionate toward this man. And there he's using them, and he saw their faith, and it affected the paralytic. And he, they brought him to Jesus, and he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why would he forgive this man's sin? I mean, obviously, you know, they, they brought him so that, they, that he could be healed. That's what Jesus had been doing. And so, again, it's, that's what they expected him to do. And instead, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, what do we know about Jesus? What do we know? What, do, what have we been learning about him? What does he care most about what has he been making sure we, he said, I see your heart. I see your heart. He wants us to make sure that we remember that it's our heart we should be spending more time on because it's our heart that when it's right, the body will follow. And, but it's just like, you know, it's like the eyes and the tree. When they're not good, then, then there's not going to be fruit. There's, the body won't will follow with bad things. I mean, he's, he's tried so many different ways to make sure we see that it's, it's our heart and our sins need to be forgiven 
that's the most critical. Remember last week when we when we read when um, Matthew quoted from Isaiah, he took up our infirmities, he carried our diseases. Remember when I mentioned Psalm 103 where it says that he healed all my diseases and right away our natural human instinct is to go to our physical needs and our physical healings. When I said, really, when you think about it, what is your biggest infirmity? What is your biggest and most huge, what is your biggest disease? Sin itself. You better believe it. And what did he, what did he do? He took care of it. That's why he took on our infirmity. He took and carried our disease. Jesus did it. And so in, in, this, in this lesson, he again reminds us that he is going after. He wants us to see how we, a sinner needs a Savior, and we are all sinners. And then, of course, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. And then look at the next, notice the next line, knowing their Thoughts, yeah, knowing their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. Why do we entertain? And I don't know, I didn't check different versions, but the NIV uses the word entertain. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Now, remember, we can't help it. A thought goes through our head. I mean, we live in a sinful world, and we are rubbing elbows with, with evil all the time, so we can't help it that a thought goes through our head. But what's the key word here? Why do you entertain? See, because you and I got a split second to decide when that thought comes into our mind, are we going to entertain? Are we going to play with that? Are we going to have a, a ball with that thought? And, you know, it'll just take off. And then eventually that come out in an evil action. Or you can nip it by saying, this is not good for me. I've got to get rid of it. I've got to take that thought, you know, and, and bring it to Jesus so it doesn't, and so I don't entertain it. So he said to them, I know your thoughts, and I know you're entertaining those thoughts in your heart. Then he said, which is easier? Your sin, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? <clears throat> you know, he looked right at him. He said, what's easier? Well, of course, it's easier to say, oh, your sins are forgiven. It's so easy to be your pious religious self and to quote the verses and, and to just use all your church jargon to make you sound so holy. It's easy. This is what I said before. Words are cheap. And so he's really checking to see his, you know, he's talking to those religious leaders, and I call that good church people. And he's saying, how, how real are you? Because I know I can, I know your, your thoughts. I know when you're entertaining those evil thoughts and you don't get rid of it. And yet, oh, it's so easy to just say all the religious things so that people think that you're so godly. And then, but then on the, on the twist side, though, I mean, when you think about it, what's easier? I mean, I think of, well, doctors can heal, heal, but who, who but Jesus alone can forgive our sins? So in my, when I looked at it the other way, I thought, well, 
forgiving sins is harder. And yet I know that he gives the gift to the doctors to be able to do it. You know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. But I think when he's talking to the religious leaders, he's saying, check yourself. See how, how words just come floating, how religious words just come floating out of, your, out of your mouth. And you sound so religious to everybody. But again, I know. I know the real you. And I think, you know, so often I think those leaders always kind of thought, I mean, even the, even the disciples, because I think they grew up believing this, that if, remember how to that, to that, young, to that man born blind, they, the disciples asked Jesus, um, um, oh, oh, what did it, what did they do? What, you know, what sin did the parents commit or, you know, what Always there's a reason for there's this consequence of sin. You know, why is this poor person blind? Because there's got to be something they did. They could have been carrying that, you know, thinking, oh, there was something about this man that that he deserved this because there was some sin in either in his life or his parents' life. Or And I just thought, what a, what a moment to be standing there in front of these religious leaders, then when Jesus says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up and take your mat and go home. If you're thinking that um, that there's something that he's done or that this is a result of some sin, well then, guess what? I'm healing this man, so that means I can I can forgive their sins too. He just showed so much, but yet he put it right back into into their hands, saying, "You think about this." And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. You know, did you notice even when we were watching, this is all new for the disciples too. The, you know, Jesus has come on the scene, and he's changing everything. It's like what we saw a few weeks ago when he said, you know, you know an eye for an eye. That's what you've been raised. <laughs> but I'm telling you, to love your enemies. You know, you've done it this way. It's like the Old Testament, the Old Testament, but I've come and I'm fulfilling all that. The Old Testament was all about me. It was all symbolic. It was all getting getting everybody ready for a Savior who was going to do all what the Old Testament said he was going to do. So when the crowd saw this, yes, they, they praised God. They they who had given such authority to men. There was a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to say confusion, but but whenever something new comes on, it takes a while. Jesus knows that. I mean, the astonishment even in the disciples' faces, you know. I mean, like, who is this guy? So they they know, and yet it's kind of like us. We know, and yet we still fall into our doubt. We're still working on that faith of absolute trust so that we know with no doubt. 
as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. What did Jesus know about Matthew? Just like he knows about you and me. What does he know about Matthew? Everything. He knows everything. He knows that there must have been something traumatic in his life, and we don't know. I can't wait to talk to Matthew someday about it because, you know, he's a Jew. He was raised a Jew. I would, I would, I would even venture out and say he was raised in a good Jewish home. Just like some kids today can't understand it. They were raised in a good Christian home. Something happened. Something happened that just caused Matthew to say, you know what, I want nothing to do with this. In fact, uh, if I don't know, maybe it was his parents. I don't know what it was because, because to me, for for him to turn himself into a tax collector working for Rome, doing the most hated job to deliberately go into that occupation, it would like, you talk about slamming that in your parents' face. So, you know, there had to been something that turned Matthew totally away from the Jewish way of living and growing up with all the, the Jewish training and then to say, bag it, I'm, I'm going to make some money. And I don't care who I have to hurt. I don't care what I have to do. In fact, that's just immaterial. And, and he just, off he went, and he became a tax collector. Now, even though you make that decision, I mean, I, I, mean, I even see it in, in one of my children. I mean, even though he thought, all right, I'm walking away from this. And I don't care, you know, I'm, you're not, I'm not going to believe all this just because you tell me to. And so he walked away from it for a while, and I knew that he would try to do whatever he could to just kind of, let's see if that will dig in a little bit and hurt her a little bit more. I know that sounds, it sounds almost mean, and I, I wish that my Jason can walk in here someday so you can really meet him because, you know, but I mean, this is the way some kids, you know, they but even though though he did that, I mean, if I ask him now, when I ask him about those years, and I, you know, and now it's starting to come out a little bit more, he will always tell me, he said, but down deep, I knew I was wrong. They know. I mean, that's why that proverb, you train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from him. I mean, they can really go off track, but down deep, they know. In fact, after Jason did come, come back, I couldn't get over how many times when he would talk about it, he would say, and then I remembered this of what you said, and then I remembered this of what Dad said, and, and we never thought he listened to a word we said. So I guess the reason I'm saying this is that, you know, because what brought Matthew to the point where Jesus said two words, follow me, and he got up. I mean, it's easy to read this story, and yay, thank God, that's so good, Matthew. But, but when you put yourself into that, there had to have been something dramatic that caused him to walk away from, from it all. And then was it down deep he knew down deep was their guilt that he was carrying. 
because I don't know if you saw it, but they put that in. I know this is just a man-made, man-made um, video, but but yet, did you see who was watching? Jesus say your sins are forgiven and healed the blind man. Matthew was standing right there. Was Matthew even in his off time? Was he checking him out? Because maybe he started remembering that his mom and dad said that someday the Messiah is coming. You know, you just, you, we don't know except the fact that when Jesus went to the tax collector booth and looked at Matthew straight in the face, it's so much easier to look down and it's so much easier to, to not come back. It's so easy to say, oh, I don't like that kind of teaching or no, um, I don't, it, it's getting too close or whatever. And it's so easy to, to just stay away. But once Jesus, it's like when he looks into your face and you look into his, <laughs> it's all she wrote. And he looked at Matthew, and Matthew looked at him, and Jesus said, follow me. And, and, and he got up. I mean, it said, and Matthew, remember, remember who's writing this. So I think he kind of knows the story. I mean, he's, this is his story. And I dare say Matthew is loving to tell it. Now he doesn't give us all the details, and then and I because I think I, I think he wants us to ponder on it and and think, well, you know, this is pretty typical. Kids can be rebellious. Kids can have some traumatic experience and say, nope, you know, God, uh, we're done. But down deep, because we've been created, we've been created deliberately with the need for him. There is some gnawing guilt or some gnawing something that that's why we can never give up. We can never stop surrendering our children or our, our, our people that you know that you want to come to Jesus. He's going to finish this chapter kind of on, the, on that same theme. So just kind of hold that for now. But, but Matthew gets up, and he, he followed him. Did you stop and think during the week, did you, did you stop and think what maybe those disciples were thinking? I mean, you know, this guy is rotten to the core. And Jesus is saying, follow me? You mean he's going to be one of us? And so, I mean, there's a lot going on here. And then, and then to beat all, Jesus is going to have dinner at Matthew's house with many of the tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Oh, wouldn't you love to have been at that party that night? Kind of reminds me of the party that the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. I mean, here, and I asked you a question about this because look at those Pharisees saw this and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So I asked you the question, According to the Pharisees, who were the sinners? Anybody but them. 
But see, this has been my point all these years. And for some of you who just started, you think, doesn't she ever get off this subject? But I, I can't because when you live in a, a churchy community, it's a danger zone that you can almost be like Pharisees and not even realizing you can have all the spiritual knowledge and have and yet miss it all. Because here, the Pharisees, I mean, I, I, I sometimes have said this, and we all know that Jesus died on the cross, you know, but I think sometimes we think he died more for certain people than for us because after all look what they did compared to me and that's why I told you my story at the beginning because any any one of us I don't care how good or how how religious we were raised there isn't a one of us that without coming to Jesus you turn us inside out we are all dark with sin there isn't a one of us and this is what it looks like when you start. <laughs> if you ever met a religious person who doesn't know the grace and mercy and love of Jesus, I dare say who hasn't been to the cross because they didn't even realize what he's done for them. I mean, they know the general that he died for everybody, but, you know, after all, I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of a good person. And so, but I, I guarantee you that a religious person without Jesus in the fruit of of Jesus and the characteristics of of him in you they're crabby and critical a religious person without Jesus is crabby and critical they're always pointing they're always fun and fall they're always criticizing there's always a yeah but they always you just just check because it see it's Jesus and his spirit that starts coming in and changing and you realize from once you once were and you have a whole different depth of compassion and understanding man do you like it when somebody's doing this to you somebody does that to me I just want to cut that finger right off I mean it's just no one likes that but a religious critical person is is just will do that because what does Jesus do? What does Jesus say to sinners? Come, come. You never see this. He said, I didn't even come to condemn the world. I came to save it. You don't see Jesus doing that. You see Jesus going like this with his arms stretched. So when I read this, it just kind of gets me because I think I just don't want that critical, religious, crabby kind of, they don't even think they're sinners. And they look at someone like Matthew and his, and his buddies there. Jesus said on hearing this, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I mean, he's trying to get those smarty pants to realize what he's saying here. Like, I came for sinners, and you're one. He's trying to get them to see that they're one. And then when he says, go and learn from what this means from Hosea 6, 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
Old Testament, Jesus, I mean, he has always been about mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We learned that in the Proverbs, too. I mean, he, he wants, he wants, um, remember how if we know, if we know that we need to um, make something right, we know that the, the guilt is there and he is working and we have to go and make something right, but we say, oh, I think I'm going to study my Bible all afternoon or I think I'm just going to pray for an hour or how about if I just um, write a bunch of notes to people or if I cook a dinner for so-and-so. You know, it's almost like saying, is that going to appease you? Will that, will that write this wrong? And Jesus says, no, I appreciate your sacrifice, but you know what? I want you to make things right first. I desire mercy. I desire getting things right first before this sacrifice. Nobody said, for I have not come to call the righteous. I think he was being a little sarcastic there. Because what, you know, I, I, I wish I'd, because I, I mean, I don't, I can't add to scripture, but, but I think it, what Jesus, what Jesus was saying there is that, you know, because they're, oh, they think they're so righteous, but the only one that can make us right is Jesus. So you stick a four-letter self in front of that righteous, and, and that, that describes it, self-righteous. I've not come to call the righteous. You know, you're, you know, I don't need to make those right who I've made right already. <laughs> so they're right. I've come for sinners. But I just want, in, in, in his subtle and in his way, he was trying to say, and believe me, you cannot make yourself right. I don't care how smart, how religious you are. Then John's disciples came, John the Baptist. Some of them are still around, and John, John's disciples came and asked, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Yeah, what... Why is that? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. You know, fasting is, we've talked about fasting in the first part of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mountain, and he, and he talked about that. I mean, fasting is, is a, a heavy time in our lives when, when we are abstaining probably from food to remind us to, to surrender and to pray for something that's big in our lives at that point. So we all understand what fasting is, but Jesus is saying, you know what, there's a time for that. Right now, I am here. I mean, he's referring to the bridegroom. We know the bridegroom is, he's talking about himself. And now is the time. It's not time to be heavy laden. And, no, it's I am here now. 
again trying to get them to see the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them then they will fast but right now oh let's just let's just grab on to all all the the love and the joy and the peace and the pay, all the all the good stuff let's just let's just learn and grow now Let's learn the new way. Let's 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 ta- let's learn what grace is. Let's le- learn what mercy is. And then he tra- then he tries doing it this way. He says, "Okay, how about if I put it this way? No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins, for the." For they do, for if they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. You know, I wanted to wait, and I, I sat and worked on this because you know you can, you, you, I think it's kind of complicated, and I wanted a simple way. I think I want to get this once and for all, Lord. And I think, I, I really do believe that he showed me this week because I, I think what he's saying, I've come and I've got my new way and it's full of grace and it's full of mercy and it's, and it's full of when the heart changes, then you're transformed. It's the old is gone, the new is come. And, and all of a sudden it started clicking. And I think what he's saying here, you can't get new results with old behavior. In other words, you can't start taking the message of grace and mercy and putting it into all the law in the way it always used to be. You cannot, you cannot take the new things that I'm teaching and put it in, in your, you still want to put it in your old way. I mean, you can't, you can't come and learn in, in Bible study and then you leave here and then you don't change. You don't put it because then the old self just takes over. You need new learning into a new self and then it works. If you're not willing to take this new, the new things that you're learning that the Holy Spirit is trying to make clear in your mind and he wants you transformed and you're learning that and then you can't put it in that old you you can't just go to a church an hour of bible study or an hour of church and then and then just live your life any old way you want i think this is what he's trying to say you can't have it both ways and then the old nature is gone. Behold, all things have become new. You need new teaching and to put it in a new you. That's when it works. You can't put new teaching in the old you, the old stuck you. You've got to be willing to be new in Christ. You take new new teachings and put it in a new you, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's the Holy Spirit clicking this. Now this makes sense. But so often we hear new teaching, and we, but yeah, we don't want to change. Oh, I like this new teaching, but you can't just have it here, and then you don't do anything with it. 
and you think you can just go live your life any way you want. Come to Bible study and take all this new teaching, and then, oh, this weekend you're with, uh, with maybe wrong friends at wrong time, at wrong place, and, but who's going to know? Well, I think by now you know who is going to know. You see, it doesn't work that way. This is, in fact, I never saw it that serious before. I thought, no, you saying you can't, you can't play both sides. You can't be learning this and then just shrug it off and, and say, well, you know, that's all good for Monday night, and then go about your, no, he says, no, new, new teachings, new you. Then it works. How, how, you know, willing are we to let go of that old us so that we can be transformed? Because look what he says. No, you pour new wine into new wineskins, and look, both are preserved. Hmm. That's a... Can't have a new relationship with Christ and do it in the old religious practices. And again, I'm going to tell you what I wrote. You can't get new results <laughs> with old behavior. All right, while he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. And he said, my daughter has just died. I went to the other Gospels, and some of them talk about the fact, and I think Matthew condensed it. Because we do it from another Gospel, it's Jairus, the, the religious ruler, a Jew. He comes to Jesus. And, and some of the Gospels say that he came in and, and his daughter hadn't died yet, but then they come, the servant comes and says, your daughter's died, so don't bother. So I think Matthew is just condensing it by saying, you know what, she died before Jesus could even get there. So Jairus is this religious ruler that, okay, now, he, and I think the, the word, and it starts with a D, I think the word is desperate. Now, does anybody enjoy the feeling of desperate? No. But we all, well, I think we all know what it means when we're desperate. When we're desperate, what do we have a tendency to do? Throw up our hands. We just don't know what to do. We're desperate. And I think Jairus is desperate here, but I think Jesus is loving it, and he loves it when we're desperate because we come running when we're desperate. We come running to him, and Jairus, you know what? He comes, and he says, knelt, and he knelt before him for a Jewish leader. Did you notice that position? When in the last weeks we've been hearing, I mean, they're just carry themselves, you know, but they knelt before Jesus. My daughter's just died, but come put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him. So did his disciples. Now, what do you think the human feeling is when you know that these Jewish leaders have just been just obnoxious? They've just called him blas a blasphemer. And now, all of a sudden, you got one asking for a favor? What's, what's normal human nature? 
when somebody who, who absolutely cannot stand you, and all of a sudden they ask you for a favor. They have hurt you. They, they have lied about you. And now all of a sudden they come to you. It's, it's like somebody who's just absolutely couldn't stand you and what you stood for and didn't. And then all of a sudden they come and say, oh, would you pray for my? No. But I think when you're desperate, I think that this causes this man to think about this and he comes to Jesus and he humbles himself kneels before him and you don't see Jesus saying well let's talk about this for a minute you know after all look what you've done look how you've treated me and now you think it's favor time you see none of that it says Jesus got up there wasn't one, yeah, but let's, you know, discuss. No, he got up. He got up and his disciples went and, and on their way, there was this woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And, and again, Matthew's condensing. We don't, we know the story about this woman. She's, she's doctored for 12 years. She's, she's used up all her money. She is now begging because she has tried every doctor, every remedy. She, is, she, has, she doesn't have a dime anymore. She isn't, you know, anytime you have, any, you know, anything like this, they are labeled unclean. And yet, look what her faith, look what her faith does. And Jesus just absolutely loves it. And I mean, you know, the details for the other where she touches, she believes that she can just touch his garment. And, and then Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean? You know, there's all kinds of people here. What do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But, you know, Jesus wants this woman to be able to say that she, that she knows who he is. Matthew condenses it and says it all because he hears Jesus say to her, daughter. Now, when will Jesus call you and I daughter or son? When, will he, when, when do we become a part of his family? When we believe, when we believe from the depths of our heart, we become, when we, we become a part of his family because of her belief in him, he calls her daughter. That's Matthew's way of saying that Jesus could see her heart and saw her belief. And again, touches. And, and take her daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. That word touch, there's something about that word touch. Last week we saw it a lot. This, in fact, it just touches garment. That touch, that, that touch to Jesus, that touch back from Jesus, that, um, that relationship. And Jesus turned, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. She truly believed, and at that, the woman was healed. And when Jesus entered the ruler's house, saw the flute players, the noisy crowd, he said, go away, the girl's not dead, but asleep. 
And of course, they laughed at him. They laughed. And after the crowd had been outside, he went, took the girl by the hand. <laughs> I like that. Usually when someone laughs at you, again, what's a human tendency? You know, when you're, when you're insulted or well, we learned that from the, from the Beatitudes, and Jesus said you better, better be awake on this because it's going to happen. If you'll be insulted or persecuted for my sake, you know, in other words, this is going to, this, this will happen. It happened to Jesus. They laughed at him. Did it stop him? A lot of times in, when someone, you know, ridicules or we get, you know, we kind of get set apart or it's just so easy to back away and just kind of <laughs> nothing stopped Jesus. He didn't care if they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all the region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on his son of David. I was watching, and I thought, you know, after a long day, you know, Jesus has spent long days, and at the end, you know, he's, he's washing his face, and, you know, it's kind of at the end of the day, and then he hears, he hears in the distance, he hears, have mercy on a son of David. And it said to him, when he had gone indoors, the men came right inside. Came right inside. But did you ever say, did, did, he, did, did you ever think Jesus might say, like, oh, guys, I mean, I've had a long day. How about coming back in the morning? And he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He He's excited about these two blind men for what they called him. And those, they called him son of David, son of David. I mean, this is even more knowledgeable. I mean, he's, he's, I think he's even more thrilled because these two blind men, they know that he is absolutely the Messiah because the prophecy said that the Messiah would come from the house of David. So the fact that, that they called him son of David. Oh, Jesus is, Jesus loves faith. You can see that. He loves it when you really believe. And he can't wait to, in, in, in your need, he can't wait. That's why if you ask, if you seek and you knock, he can't wait. You want what he wants, you really believe, he can't wait to show you his will. Just like with a leper last week. This leper knew Jesus, and Jesus loved that because he said, if you're willing, you can heal me. I know you can, but if you're willing, you trust God's will. Son of David. <laughs> so Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Oh, yes, Lord, capital L. And then he touched their eyes. He touched their eyes. Now, did Jesus have magic in those fingers? No. Again, that remember that touch is, a, is so symbolic of Jesus' love. 
and he touches them just to feel that touch. Remember how, I mean, so often I look at that, and oh, I can't wait to, I hope he kisses my head someday. I just think that's so sweet. I love the way he touches. His touch is such a, is so loving. He touched their eyes. According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly. So in other words, he meant it when he said, now see that no one knows about this. And I still, I still can't get over that because, you know, everybody's going to know that this, that these two have been blind and, you know, how are they going to not say anything? And, and really, why does Jesus even say that? You know, I, I, you know, we really don't know for sure, except for the fact that I think Jesus so, what, what is, what does he do the miracles for in the first place? I mean, of course, we know that he has compassion and all that, but what does he want to prove who he is exactly? And why does he want to prove who he is so that they will come to him, that he could teach them, that he can instruct them, that he can show them how their lives can be changed, that he can show them and explain to them why he came and why they needed to have all the Old Testament fulfilled once and for all. And, and, and so often, what do you have a tendency, again, as humans, what's the tendency if all they hear about is, oh, Jesus, did this and Jesus did that and Jesus did this before you know it he's just like big magician David Copperfield here we come you know I mean it's you know he just doesn't want to be known as someone other than who he is But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed. They said nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Now, you know, gee, that must have, again, that must have been a sight. You've got this demon-possessed man you know, was he acting crazy or what? But he could not talk. He was a mute, and that's kind of spooky looking too, you know? And then all of a sudden, the demon is driven out, and this man speaks. And the crowd was amazed. But the Pharisees, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. You know what that is, right there, right there. If you want a good look of what a what a killjoy is, see, that's another thing. Well, religious people without Jesus, it's like they just love to come in and and just kill the spirit. I mean, what should they, what should everybody? I mean, the people were amazed. Here's this demon possessed mute man. Now he's talking in normal language. This man's been healed. And you got those religious men saying, oh, yeah, the prince of demons, he drives out demons. I mean, what a joy killer. I got to tell you what happened to me last Monday night. Or no, last Tuesday morning. No, remember what's in here stays in here. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, it was voting day. And we got done. 
we got done, um, and I said, you know, let's just sing God Bless America. You know, let's just, we're going to do everything we can, and then we're going to trust it to the Lord. God Bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. And oh, it was just, oh, there, it was so big in here. It was, the singing was so beautiful. And when, when we got done, everybody clapped. It was so great. And I was going to start the lesson, and it was, there was such a beautiful spirit. And all of a sudden, a lady out of nowhere says, why do they call this country her? Stand beside her and guide her. I'm standing here like this, and I do not know what to say. I I wanted I so I so wanted to say what doesn't matter, but you know what? It's too late, and you know everybody just kind of it was just like the air came out of the balloon. I was going to Google that and wonder why, why, I don't know. But you know what? I didn't even bother to do that because I don't care. So what? I want to say, call it, call it, call it him then. I don't care how you want to sing the song. I don't know. But I, my point is, it, it took so long to bring it back. You know, and to do it at that moment... And I just wonder sometimes, I mean, that's something I want all of us to think about. Are we, are we joy killers? Sometimes do we just kill the mood and the spirit because, you know, we just got a bone to pick or we've got a snit in our bonnet or something, and we just are just joy killers. And I think coming into the holidays, it's best we get advised right now <laughs> because there's going to be moments Enjoy killers, because this is what I saw here. I saw what a moment, and the people were amazed. And you got those critical religious people that just say, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they just took that starch right out of it. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news. See, that's what he, that's what he loved. This is what he wanted to do. And he knew that the healing, every disease and sickness, it was part of it. But he, don't ever think that he just healed and, and did that without making sure people heard the gospel. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And then he referred to them. He put it in a word. Matthew put it in a word picture. And whether Jesus had said that and Matthew wrote it down, but it was such Jesus had compassion on them because he said they, they were harassed and helpless. The people without Jesus, they, they, they have no clear direction. They, 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 have, they, don't, they don't know where to go. And believe it or not, that's today. You can just see it in our world today. Jesus is the light. And without clear direction, you just see it's just going crazy. And he puts that in a, he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Everybody needs a shepherd. And he refers, and Jesus does it many times, refers to, to people as sheep. 
because without Jesus, you know, as beautiful as creation is and animals are, you know, sheep are not notorious as being the sharpest animal in the barn. You know, they just aren't cute as can be, but they're just not too smart. And then the parable of the 99, you know, get a little cocky. Oh, they get a little, you know, they, they get a little, you know, they think they can handle themselves and they jump the fence and they think they can handle it and off they go. And then, of course, there's that one gets all tangled up. If that isn't so us. You think you're so smart, you jump the fence, you don't need to be in my word, and you think that you got all the answers and you know how to handle it and you don't need to be clinging to me because you got this and all that. He said, you're just a dumb little sheep. You're going to get, you're going to get, caught in a bunch of briars and and you know all the all the things of the world are going to finally grab a hold of you and it's going to flip you on your back and you're so stupid you don't know how to even flip yourself back <laughs> do you know that about a sheep do you know that a sheep does not know how to flip back over And I think Jesus uses that. He says, I just, I so want you to know how badly you need to stay connected to me because people are like sheep without a shepherd. You need a shepherd because you're not smart enough to know how to handle life. You need a fence around you. He said, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. <laughs> How many of you pray that? Oh, yeah, Lord, send workers. Send out workers. Oh, we need so many. We, our young people need to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Who do you think he's talking to here? Every one of us. The harvest is plentiful. And remember, ministry is right smack dab where you are. And wherever he can use us, he doesn't send everybody to Africa. And sometimes he puts us right exactly. Maybe you're caring for someone with with Alzheimer's. Maybe maybe you're you're going you're starting to walk into a whole new avenue that you never thought you were going to have to walk. Maybe you're living with someone that just is not treating you right. Maybe your child is wayward. Um, whatever the reason, you are their greatest story. You are the one that they're watching. And Jesus didn't say he was going to make your life easy. But just remember this whole lesson tonight is he's reminding us. Do you think, I'm going back to question one, do you think the way you live in your faith can help someone for all eternity? You better believe it. Yeah, good lesson. Have a good week.